0: Hello, I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Andrew.
0: And we're recording the New Statesman podcast in the Tate Britain, just round the corner from the House of Parliament, where last night Boris Johnson survived a vote of no confidence. Well, it's the morning after the night before. I'm joined by Andrew Marr, the New Statesman's political editor, to go through what happened. Andrew. 148 votes against Boris Johnson, for. Take us through the numbers. What does this mean?
1: Well, the numbers could not be better for the opposition, for the Labour Party and the Lib Dems and the SNP because they guarantee a long-running, continued divisive split inside the Conservative Party. There's going to be more scrapes, more crises, day by day, week by week and month by month. The opposition simply has to point a finger at the government at the moment and go, ha, ha, ha. Um, It is terrible, I think, for the country. Boris Johnson is leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister. But he does not really have any longer an effective parliamentary majority for most of what he wants to do. There are now two groups in the Conservative Party and we can see from the numbers how big they are. There's one group which you call almost the Brexit Boris Party, which are the placeholders, the ministers, all those who feel, even as backbenchers, that they owe the reason they're in, in Westminster is because of him. And a few ideologues, a few Brexiters. And they are the 211. And then there's the other party, which is inchoate and disorganised, but consists of all the people who, for one reason or another, perhaps because he sacked them, perhaps because they don't like Brexit, perhaps because they're outraged by the way he has run Downing Street, cannot stand him, the opposition group. Now, neither of those parties, of course, have a majority of seats in the House of Commons. In fact, the biggest single block that is coherent in the House of Commons is now the Labour Party. And this means that Boris Johnson doesn't leave power, but he carries on, unable really to govern effectively in a single decisive direction. Most of what he wants to do, he will not find a majority for in the House of Commons, or he will retreat to policies which are so timid, so small-scale, that they don't answer the, the problems facing the country but can get through the House of Commons. So it seems to me that in this really difficult situation we're in, uh, where we're facing these huge economic problems, huge cost of living crisis, the, the war is going on abroad, and so on, we do not have a government that is capable of taking us where we need to go.
0: Let's talk a bit about how we got to this point. It's been widely said that, as you said, it's very Disorganised from the rebels, very uncoordinated. Mm. We mentioned on the the podcast earlier in the week that if there had been a coordinated attempt to get rid of Boris Johnson, it probably wouldn't have been now. It would have been after the two by-elections coming up mm. on the 23rd of June. Absolutely right. When the the Tories are on track to to lose both of those, it also seems though that because it was so disorganised, it took. Team Boris by surprise, a little bit. Do you think that's right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, that's right. What we saw, first of all, was a completely ineffective whipping and reaching out organisation from Downing Street over the weekend and into Monday morning. Lots of wavering Conservatives simply weren't called by anybody, they weren't given any offers, they weren't bullied, they weren't bribed, they weren't persuaded, nothing happened at all. Weird. On the other side, I'm um, told there were ten different leadership campaigns ready to go. So absolutely no organisation. When the government talks about the rebels as they, there is no they. There is certainly no central command and control spine, if you like, amongst the... So it's a bit like... It seems to be a bit like two rival, completely incompetent amateur football teams colliding by accident on an inappropriate pitch with a rugby ball. It was just totally random really what happened. It was the the randomness of politics comes up again and again. We always think there's plots, we always think there's organisations, and we overthink that sometimes. This was an unplanned, and not not unprovoked, an unplanned collision, really in many ways caused by the happenstance of the jubilee as well, because Conservative MPs were back in their constituencies at street parties and all the rest of it, and they were meeting very angry Conservative constituents. Uh, again and again and again for quite a long period of time. They came back. The Jubilee was all about, you know, the virtues of reticence and duty and self-abnegation and the diversity and tolerance and fundamental cheerfulness of an undivided country, not the messages that helped Boris Johnson at this particular time. And, of course, he was booed at St Paul's and then again at the evening uh, concert. So I think the Jubilee was part of this. The chaos of the rebellion against him is part of the story, and the rather flaccid, ineffectual response from Downing Street is part of the story. None of this is exactly organised or coherent.
0: Let's talk about the numbers a little bit. 148 Tory MPs voting against the Prime Minister. Downing Street were briefing earlier on in the day that they thought they could keep it under 100, so clearly yeah. way, way higher than they thought. We had uh, Harry Lambert on the podcast uh, earlier this week saying that he was going to put it somewhere between 120 and 140. It was actually higher than that. It's a higher proportion of Tory MPs turning against Boris Johnson than voted against Theresa May in her own uh, vote of no confidence. Uh, Obviously, she she won that and went on to resign six months later. When Thatcher had hers, she resigned 48 hours later. And yet Boris Johnson has said this is a renewed mandate for his leadership and uh, he's going to fight on.
1: Another way to put this, Rachel, would be that no Conservative leader in modern times has gone through a leadership challenge by Tory MPs and survived for long. If the MPs don't get them, the electorate do. And yes, I think the, under, the underlying theme of your question, which is that he's not going to make it for very long, is right. Just on the numbers, I was hanging around at Portcullis House, this glass atrium next to the Commons where MPs mingle, on Monday morning, and indeed I was told by a very firm pro-Johnson loyalist that they thought they could keep the numbers below 100 and I was told by one of the many organisers of rebel groups that he believed it would be between 115 and 145 if they did really well. Well, they did better than that. So actually the rebellion was stronger, uh, more dangerous for Johnson than anyone expected, and yet he's saying, draw a line under it. He can't draw a line under it because, first of all, there's the Privileges Committee coming, trying to distinguish whether he lied to Parliament or not, and if he did, it's very hard to stay on if they find against him. Then there's the two by-elections, Wakefield and Tiverton, that you mentioned. You should never be sure about by-elections. The Conservatives might hold them, but my instinct is that they won't. And above all, there's Tory MPs looking at the polling, looking at the reaction from their own constituencies. All the polling companies that I've talked to are clear that Boris Johnson is no longer trusted by the British people and that the voters as a whole want him gone. OK, put that to one side. Say, well, that's, that's Labour Party people, that's Lib Dems, that's Scottish Nationalists. Put that to one side. Look just at Tory voters. A majority of Tory voters at the moment are moving against Johnson in a big way. Conservative Home, which has a big panel of paid-up Conservative members, not voters, but members, 56% of those thought that Tory MPs should get rid of Boris Johnson this week. So wherever you look, uh, whether it's the the numbers like that, whether it's the the booze outside St Paul's from a royalist, patriotic, middle-class crowd, again, as I say, repeated at the the concert afterwards, wherever you look, the numbers are menacing for Johnson. And at some point, Conservative MPs are going to look in the mirror and say, if we stick with this guy, I am going to lose my seat, I am going to lose my career. And when that moment comes, Conservative MPs will find a way, whatever the rules say, they will find a way to ditch him.
0: Well, the the rules that they currently are say that he can't be challenged again for another year, he's safe. We know that... The rules can be changed, and actually it was the threat of changing the rules that prompted Theresa May to resign mm-hmm. six months after she she won her vote. There are obviously things that Downing Street can do to try and shore up support. Lots of talk of a, a reshuffle at the moment about rewarding MPs who were loyal and who backed Johnson and maybe getting rid of some of the ones who were wavering, particularly uh, talk of getting some of the 2019 intake in. Do you think any of that's viable? And and if it is, how do you reward MPs by by giving them jobs without just annoying others? Annoying others. I think, to be honest,
1: the whole idea of a reshuffle is a huge so what. If he was really going to reward the key loyalists over the last few days, you'd have a cabinet consisting of two people, Nadine Doris and (laughs) Jacob rees and that would be that. Also, as you say, every time you promote somebody, you demote somebody else, and you create another dissident, somebody else who thinks, well, that's my career over, I might as well be a troublemaker now. So no, I don't think that's going to help. Roots, that would allow Johnson to be removed now are relatively few. In theory, there could be a vote of no confidence on the floor of the House of Commons. The Liberal Democrats have already put down such a motion.
0: Ed Davey is pushing for that.
1: Exactly. Completely nuts in political strategy. Tories will rally behind Boris Johnson. The most outspoken rebels will hold their noses and vote in favour of Boris Johnson in a vote of confidence because that's how parties operate when they're put under the spotlight in public. So that's not going to get rid of him. An alternative, the Cabinet revolts against him in some way. Now, you look at this Cabinet and you think, yeah, that's not what happened, neither is it. But there may well be people inside the Cabinet who, with a continuing slide in the polls and the Conservative Party looking at a really bad, shredding defeat coming next, say this, the game is up. And at that point... The system is that the Chief Whip, Heaton Harris, goes into Johnson and says, terribly sorry, Prime Minister, you have lost the confidence of key members of your cabinet. It's over.
0: Is that the, uh, the, the brandy and the revolver that, option? Well,
1: as, as has been quite often and rightly said, Boris would drink the brandy and use the revolver <laughs> to shoot the Chief Whip. So again, it's, he's going to be very, very hard to move. He's not somebody who's going to, as it were, quote, do the decent thing and go. He doesn't think like that. He's going to stay on if he possibly can. And he does that, not entirely illogically, because he thinks that people lose attention, their their patience goes, their their attention spans are short, and that even inside the Tory party they eventually lose the will. The person with the biggest will wins. But I think the situation is too dangerous, too far gone for that now. I think the country has turned against him in an irreversible way. And for the time being, that means turning against the Conservative Party. Historically, the Tories have always been really good at suddenly changing leader when it seemed unlikely and impossible. Neil Kinnock thought that he was going to win big against Margaret Thatcher towards the end. And then suddenly they'd switched to John Major and everything changed. Then with Theresa May, again the opposition was thinking, this is our moment. Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party was going to sweep to power. And they got rid of her very brutally and quickly and put him... Boris Johnson. Uh, When the Conservatives need to change leader, they are very agile, brutal and fast moving.
0: And yet they're, they're not at this point. And there is a sense that Boris Johnson has already throughout his career survived many scandals and many moments where another politician in the same position would have resigned or would have felt the pressure to resign he seems immune to that pressure we're pretty certain that whatever the privileges committee comes up with and, and decides the chance of him resigning if he is not forced to do so
1: uh,
0: are well, he's highly re- unlikely he's
1: rewritten the ministerial code exactly, already yeah. to, to give himself a let out hence David Cameron's famous description of him as the greased piglet. I think we should talk a little bit about his qualities, because the way we've been talking suggests there is absolutely, it's ab- totally mad and illogical that he is still there. And as I say, looking at the numbers, I tend to take that view a bit myself. But he is still the most effective and charismatic campaigner in the country, certainly for the Conservatives. And he is somebody who can still go into a room or could until very recently, and cheer up and win round lots of people who don't like him and who are against him. And there is nobody else remotely like that in the Conservative Party. So I think one of the things going on in the minds of those Tory MPs who voted for him this week is that if not him, who there is no single figure around which the Conservative Party could rally. Back in the final days of Margaret Thatcher, we all thought it was Michael Heseltine. That proved to be wrong, but he was always prowling around like a kind of mangy tiger in in the rhododendron bushes. And there's been no, as it were, Michael Heseltine de nos jours. Jeremy Hunt is probably the nearest, but Jeremy Hunt voted Remain. He's made his peace with Brexit and all of that, but the Brexiters, I think... In the Conservative Party still won't have him, nor will the populists. You look at the other people, Tom Tuganat, Penny Mordaunt, there are lots of people on the, as it were, more moderate wing of the Conservative Party, which the hardcore Johnsonites simply won't have. You look at the cabinet, you think that the moderates would accept Liz Truss. There is an anti-Liz Truss campaign moving around already at the moment, so I think not. Maybe Ben Wallace, but it's very hard to see where the Conservatives are going to find somebody who is going to unite this very fragile and fraying coalition, which was brought together initially by Boris Johnson because of Brexit.
0: Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back.
1: From the New Statesman comes a new podcast Audio Long Reads The best of our reported features and essays read aloud Songs are like
0: tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled
1: into one Featuring writing from our authors including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election and Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis.
0: Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Marwa screamed back, who is dying?
1: Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Let's go back to where we started, which is what it means for Labour. Mm. Uh, And you said at the beginning that this is actually the best possible result for Labour because Boris Johnson has been severely damaged, but limps on, as it were, and they don't have to face a a new leader. We do still have the Durham police investigation into Keir's beer, as it were, so it is still possible that Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner will be hit with fixed penalty notices, which would be an interesting development. But you, you just said that Boris Johnson has this ability to capture imaginations and to campaign mm. and that he believes that people have short memories. Do you think it's, it's feasible that he could limp on to the next election and actually by the time of the next election maybe people have, will have forgotten about all of this and uh, Labour could be facing a, an opponent that is more of a threat to them than they realise at the moment?
1: The pollsters say that's completely implausible but in fact in life anything is possible. It's all about probabilities and likelihoods. I think there's a big danger for Labour, and indeed for the country in all of this, which is that Labour doesn't feel any pressure to build a really radical, coherent and popular alternative agenda. I still think that it's very important that Labour starts to think through a new and more radical economic agenda, possibly based around big national bond to soak up the savings, that is is surplus in the economy, and find ways of injecting more money in, into the public services, because everywhere you look, from sort of filthy rivers to NHS dentistry, to the court system, to the passport office, wherever you go, things are falling apart at the moment in this country. And if Labour is able to campaign successfully against Boris Johnson simply by saying he's Boris Johnson, you don't want that guy, and doesn't feel the pressure to 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 go through the painful, difficult intellectual process of compiling an alternative strategy, an alternative economics, they may win power, but how well then do they govern? Answer not very...
0: And finally, let's just talk about the next couple of months and and what it means for governing, what it means for fixing all of those issues, the NHS backlogs, the troubles with the ambulance service, the issues with the courts, the issues with still catching up on education after the Mm -hmm. pandemic, levelling up. I think we heard today that another leg of HS2 is going to be cancelled, all the infrastructure projects, all of that. What does it mean for the country to have a government in power that doesn't have the, the support needed in order to actually govern?
1: So given where we are now, if you look around the country, if you look at the huge cost of living problems, the huge economic issues, the inflation and the possibility of a summer of discontent and all the problems that you have have listed, Rachel, we desperately need a clear, decisive leadership government taking us in one single direction. And what do we have instead? Semi-paralysed blob.
0: been listening to the new statesman podcast with me rachel cunliffe and our political editor andrew marr if you've enjoyed this don't forget to tell a friend and leave us a nice review our music is devil with a devil licensed under creative commons and our producer is adrian bradley thank you for listening